Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today I'm very, very happy to introduce to you Faye Lane. Now, Faye, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Oh, great, great to have you on. Now, if you want to introduce to our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what position you hold. So, my name's Faye, and I'm the lead mammal and bird keeper at the National Sea Life Centre in Birmingham. It basically just means I look after the CRs and gentoo penguins that we have there. Amazing. Now, as I say, quite a, a diverse background you've got already, quite a, a sought-after role as well. But, and there is the big but here, we all know in the industry, you don't just roll into that role unless you're very lucky. You have to build yourself up. You have to have that life journey, effectively, to get there. Do, do you have any any stepping stones, any real life moments for along the career from the very, very young ages up to now to get into where you are? Well, I actually moved over from Ireland to come to uni over here. And when I started doing my degree, which was animal behaviour and welfare, I didn't really actually know what animals I wanted to work with. Uh, I just knew I was passionate about them. But when I was at uni, I started volunteering in an aquarium because I grew up on the west coast of Ireland so I have lots of memories of being at the beach as a kid rock pooling all that stuff and that was like that piqued my interest when I started volunteering I've tried other things like birds of prey worked on a sheep farm but being in an aquarium it, it piqued my interest and really until I went to move to Birmingham that I first started working with seals I'd never really worked with mammals before at all. I had no experience. And that was a bit of an eye-opener. It kind of like grabbed my attention, kind of, I felt like a passion there. And then we eventually got the sea otters. And that's pretty much where my career sort of changed the most, I'd say, in terms of, of milestones. Yeah, no, it sounds... Sounds cracking. Sounds like you've been on a real journey so far and obviously you've uh, landed yourself with those quite amazing CRs, which is, uh, is is cracking. Now, before we do delve into them, which will, I'm sure, erupt into these next few questions, but we're obviously here to talk about taxonomic groups. And I guess just to kick us off, would you define yourself in a certain taxonomic group? How would you define yourself as a keeper? It's really hard, you know, because I'm so split between mammals and birds but we have one of each so I wouldn't say I'm like an expert in either because I only work with one species each but sea otters is the only site to have them in the UK so far I see myself as mainly a sea otter keeper I think although I do love our gentoos I love working with them as well Uh, but in terms of like source material uh, and speaking to people about sea otters I can't do that with people in the UK I have to go a bit abroad do that that's been the main thing I think that's where I kind of see myself the most but yeah it's kind of hard to describe where I fit in because I'm the only person that does my job in the UK kind of like with this particular species so honest answer is like, I don't actually know where I fit in because <laughs> there's only one of me yeah that's, I mean that's a good way to be and I think that's uh, quite a nice thing to touch on for this podcast and that is even though yes you have got 
you know your mammal keepers you have got your bird keepers you have got your fish keepers there is a gray area and in the modern day you do find that a lot of collections don't simply separate the taxonomic groups and you almost take on an area and encompass that area so exactly like you're saying it, it doesn't work as simply now as taxonomic areas literally especially in an aquarium where we have mammals and birds like you're you're not set on those areas like you know I'm I'm the lead for those areas but it doesn't mean I never look at a fish anymore I still get very involved in what we call the other side of the aquarium you know you still need to be able to know what to do with a jellyfish or you know corals you know you still have to cover those sections so you still have to keep in touch basically with everything that's going on which I think is how every site runs you know you can have your people that are passionate about certain species and taxonomic groups you need always need the backup you know most sites have small teams so it's important that you know what's going on with all your animals not just the ones that you're particularly passionate about or you're meant to be leading totally and before we do go on I I think this is this could explode so let's let's see what happens but Give me a quick breakdown then of those top two you've mentioned, those otters and those penguins. What makes them so special to you? What What is the, the coolest thing about them? Well, I saw with the gentoos. I, I haven't seen many gentoos around the UK. You know, there's like sites like Edinburgh who have like 80 plus gentoos, which is just crazy. Again, they're the only penguin species I work with, but from what I've heard, you know, they're actually pretty intelligent. They are extremely engaging for a penguin you know ours are trained to get on scales we do actually do training sessions with our penguins just seeing their social dynamics as well is something i really enjoy it's like watching a reality tv show sometimes with with the penguins especially uh with how our colony works you know even just looking at their family trees where they've come from end of last year we moved four birds up to edinburgh to make a bit of room breed some chicks and, you know, you kind of have to keep the gene pool fresh as well. So those sort of areas I'm most interested in when it comes to, especially the penguins, uh, is their social dynamic. And they have, you know, you've got to follow their seasons as well, like breeding, molting seasons are extremely important. If you don't get those right, then it can really harm them. So, you know, you're almost on like a, a timeline with the penguins of what they need to achieve in that year. Um, so that's really important. And we have a really good penguin team uh, who are very passionate. So, I mean, we all talk about the penguins as if they are like our own little reality show at lunchtime and things like that. So they're a lot of fun to work with. Um, and they're just great, like extremely easy to work with as well, really. Apart from the sea otters, maybe have overtaken them or like the most popular thing that people come to see at the aquarium. And the sea otters are kind of just in their own category themselves um i don't think there's enough words to describe how special they are never worked with an animal like them they're just so like engaging like the, the way they look at you pay attention to you they never miss a beat they're extremely challenging to look after in terms of their husbandry it was a big step for me when they came over we were very lucky that the alaskans that were looking after them uh, at the alaska seed life center came over for about a few weeks to help us train with them so obviously none of us had worked with seahawks before and that was honestly i felt a bit out of my depth with what they needed welfare wise husbandry wise their diet is insane they eat about 25 percent of their body weight every day so both of them are eating just under like five kilos of food a day and um, they have about eight feeding sessions it's just crazy you know like when people say 
oh, you work in a zoo and aquarium, you must feed animals all day. And you get really annoyed because you're like, that's about 10% of my day. Try and describe everything else you do. Well, you know, this time I actually am just feeding animals all day with the CRs. They are extremely intelligent as well. We do training sessions with them every single day to stimulate them. But they're also extremely destructive. They have already picked apart their enclosure, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But uh, yeah, they're very dexterous. They just want to investigate everything. So I've never had to deal with that before, working with mainly fish and sharks and things like that never had to worry about that in my sort of zoo slash aquarium career like it, it never even occurred to me that I'd have to look out for things like that so it's been cool it's been a nice challenge and yeah they are just the best things I've ever worked with you've definitely got a, a very envious uh listening crowd I think for this podcast it's, it's an animal which is very desirable they're very cute and I'm, I'm sure everyone would jump into your seat as your role so you're yeah you're very privileged but as you've just said you're very specialist and you've worked your graph to get there which is is uh yeah sounds like a, a journey worthwhile um, which is is pretty cool. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'm very very glad. I'm feel very lucky that I got to work with them because previously I'd only worked with seals. So the enclosure had to be running for like a year before we could put the CRs in. It was built for them, and obviously you can't have an enclosure running empty for a year. So we got seals from Stanton and Skybrook, and at, the, I, at that point I'd only just started at Birmingham. So again, that was really new for me. You know, the only time I've seen a seal really is like when I go out early hours in the morning when I was a kid to see some seals in the wild so that was cool as well that was a nice bit of experience like a nice little foot in the in the door of working with a marine mammal and because I kind of showed that I was passionate about that that's how I got my foot in the door with looking after the sea otters and I'm so glad I did uh, never did I think that I would be a lead for a sea otter like that was never part of the plan but it kind of just happened that way that's cool and I think that's a, that's a very large lesson for everyone is to take the opportunities as they come because you never know what way it's going to go now we do lead into the next section of this podcast and that is i guess it's a truly zookeeper part of this podcast and that is looking around enrichment now enrichment is a big part of all of our roles it's a big part of the modern day zookeeping um way of things and, and it obviously varies depending on your taxonomic group depends if it has to be waterproof does it have to be hardy does it have to be you name it has to be good enough for that certain species in that taxonomic group now i'm very interested to see what animal you're going to pick here considering you're so divided between the taxonomic areas but do you have any any top tips have you come across any enrichment which is truly specialist and good for your your taxonomy well i feel like for me it was an eye-opener and my mind was blown but i feel like for most zookeepers it's so standard which is fire hose never had we had to like work with fire hose before because we didn't have any animals or well, i had never worked with animals that needed it but then i found sites like host to habitat which is like i think used by some of my zookeepers so we started making things for the otters with that we made like a huge sort of fake kelp display for them which they use like every day it just allows them to sort of do those natural behaviors um, i mean they pretty much death roll it every morning we use it for puzzle feeders as well because because they need so much stimulation and because they have like so many feeds a day we constantly try and think of different ways to feed them. We don't always want to do um, a training session. It, you know, at first when they, they arrived, we only did training sessions. But uh, now we like them to take their time to eat and do what they want, have a bit more, more choice, basically, and in how they feed. So another big thing for us is ice. That is one of their main things that we use for enrichment for them. There's literally so many things you can do with it as well. 
a few of their feeds uh, in ice blocks. And so we just freeze their food. We do it, especially at the end of the day, because they need to eat so much. We give them a huge ice block at the end of each day. And then we do that just before we leave. So they have something to do while we're gone. But we like to throw like ice parties and stuff like that. Like it was um, Paddy's Day recently, which is obviously a very important day for me, being Irish. Uh, so we do like uh, different themed enrichment, like Paddy's Day, Valentine's Day, Halloween. Yeah, ice is definitely, like it really helps us be like, quite creative as well it kind of like allows us to like do loads of them um, and we don't have to worry about them destroying it and having to pick up the pieces afterwards and it allows them to do their natural behaviors which is smashing everything in sight yeah that was a game changer when like, realizing ice is an extremely useful tool for for enrichment but the dream would be to make them a raft which we have started because they actually quite like being on the land a lot our two anyways our male and female spend quite a lot of time on the land to groom uh, especially our female she likes to climb a lot so anything you put in there like um like a pool of ice whatever she'll just flip it and you know groom on there and stuff so we want to give her a bit more height to work with so we'd like to put a raft in there which we we have started um so yeah um but that's the main goal right now uh, is a raft for, for the office <laughs> no that sounds sounds great sounds great sounds like they're uh, very well looked after otters and rightfully so now obviously that leads into the next part of this then and that is enrichment's one thing but creating the suitable habitat and, and the enclosure for your animals can be just as good as enrichment. And that is really important with all sorts of species, whether that be the material to the substrate to obviously the water quality and so on. So with regards to your taxonomic group, then your your enclosure design, what goes into it? Are there any quirky little things that you've you've inbuilt to help with training or anything like that? And and overall, what challenges have you come up against, which you've, you've somehow battled against? Uh, so many challenges. They have basically destroyed most of the enclosure already. They just they pick apart all the, the concrete that they have in there. So that's been a challenge. Sometimes you just see them with a massive chunk of, of concrete and like, oh my God. So things like that, no matter how much enrichment you put in, like they're always going to find something to destroy is what I've learned. Same with the penguins, like, you know, if you think about how much penguins eat and poo every day, you're going to be challenged with keeping the enclosure to a certain standard, which is something we struggle with with the penguins. So we actually get our penguin enclosure repainted uh, every two years. So recently they just had their enclosure repainted. So that's one way we get around that because their enclosure at Birmingham is very white, Antarctica looking. So that's always a challenge. You know, even though we're keeping it a high standard, it doesn't always like look that way after a certain amount of time. Again, with the ice and things like that with the penguins, we even put like sprinklers on for them just to change their environment. We try and change their environment a lot, even with, you know, because they're inside, their lighting schedule is very important as well. We try and follow the lighting schedule in Antarctica. Um, so each month will change, it'll just automatically change the lighting schedule for them. And we have the exact same for the otters as well. So the air temperatures and water temperatures will change depending on the month. Uh, so we usually do that on like the first of every month. Um, so that's really important is that when you have animals inside that you're changing their environment, that they're not just constantly in the same environment. We try and vary things like that. You know, we've tried things like seagull noises for the otters and stuff. They've never seemed too bothered about that sort of sensory, sensory stimulation. We've going to be getting the otter enclosure refurbished in a couple of months because they have picked it apart so we've got a lot of challenges and what we want to try and make better as well 
So it's a good opportunity. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds like you've got your work cut out your end with that. But uh, it sounds like you've got uh, quite a nice even balance between the two, which is great. And great to hear about the lighting. I think that's a great shout, which is, uh, you know, adapting to almost comparing to the wild as much as in captivity. So, yeah, great. Great advice. Now, that is exactly where I'm going with this last question before we dive in to something a whole different region. And that is the final thing is advice for the day. If the listeners here for your younger self, for your journey so far, have you built up any advice from your journey that you, you can pass on those little words of wisdom? I think when you first start out, anyone that's in our industry is very much thrown in the deep end. There's no like baby steps really into this industry to be honest I think the most important thing is to not burn yourself out it's very easy to you know be like I need to be there for this animal move I need to help with this project I would pick your projects basically make sure you don't get stuck in one place I think it's good to move around in our industry as well it's really important to go to different zoos and aquariums even if it's just for a visit to see what other um, sites are doing but the main thing for me is don't burn yourself out because it's an incredibly demanding industry, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. But And just take a step back and enjoy what you're actually working with. Like when you're feeding the same animal every day, you know, none of us would be ashamed to say that it can become mundane. But then you just got to sit back and think, wow, I'm actually feeding a gentle peng- penguin like literally in front of me right now. So I think that's important. Um, it's just to sometimes sit back and think about why you were passionate in the first place. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And you have already jumped the gun. I'm going to be honest. We're into these big questions now. We're going into the deep end, no pun intended. And with this bit, you've already touched on this first question. You may have even answered this first question, but I'm going to chuck it back at you and see if you do come up with anything different. If not, then it just reiterates what you've just said. And that is, as you've just said, the industry is hugely demanding. It's something which is at times can be overwhelming. It can get too much and it is something we have to be a little bit careful of. What do you think the largest challenge is as a keeper and and how do you overcome it? Well, yeah, like you said, it's really demanding. So you're often working long hours. In our industry, there's so many things that can go wrong. You're trying to keep animals safe, give them welfare. And unfortunately, things do go wrong. I mean, you know, in an aquarium, trying to keep a million litres of water inside tanks every single day like you're gonna have floods (laughs) Uh, things like that are gonna happen um I've made many floods in my career at our place we have a flood scale like a Richter scale of how bad it is you know depends how many stories it goes down whatever you know you gotta see the funny side of these things as well so when it comes to the animals it's a huge amount of pressure you're keeping them alive essentially you know it's what we're passionate about and it's like some people say it's you know their hobby as their job but it actually is a lot of pressure to have so many lives on your shoulders, uh, whether it's a fish, a mammal, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same principle, same standard. Um, and when things go wrong, usually at the end of the day, when you're about to go home, you can't just can't just leave it. You can't just, you know, send an email the next day. It, it doesn't work like that. You're usually there late and then you're in early again the next day because the animals need you. So it is really hard. And I think it takes time to overcome those sort of challenges. It comes with experience. It's only taken me years to find the balance between work and having a healthy social life or just being able to switch off. But I, th- I think um, the main challenge is just the demand for the job. Like it's very physical. 
um, mentally draining. When you are ISO standard, you you are like out and about every day, grinding, grafting. So you're you're tired when you get home. So if you've had a few days where you've been doing that every day, long shifts, it, it catches up to you. No, totally, totally. And I think, to be honest, that leads us perfectly into question two here. And that is you know the balance between work and and home life is so important to try and get that respite from that day-to-day running to try and control yourself and and create that well-being effectively now that's what your bosses recommend to you um and that's what what i would recommend to everyone is to get that balance between home and work life that being said from a totally hypocritical point of view I struggle with it, let alone, I'm sure, everyone else. And and it is a hard one to juggle. So the question is, is it an easy one to, to deal with and achieve? Or is it almost the inevitable that it is going to come home with you? I think it's inevitable. I think if you're passionate about <clears throat> your job, it's inevitable. I still wake up a lot in the night thinking I'm still filling up a tank and I flooded the aquarium or it is kind of part of the zookeeping lifestyle I feel that you're gonna take your work home with you but that's not to say that you can't overcome it or take small steps to make things better it's taken me a long time to work it out myself certainly have my challenges with mental health and worrying about work all the time but I think it's important just to try and find that balance like especially with your team like usually we're in quite small teams so I think no one understands what you're going through better than what they like than them so I think it's important as a team to actually do social events together as well don't talk about work you know just go do something fun even if it's just visiting a zoo together or an aquarium together get some inspiration together very important as well is to actually stick together as a team and do things away from work I mean I'm sure you're the same with your team like you end up becoming a bit like a family um, because you spend so much time together and you all have the same responsibilities but yeah I always try and like make sure I've got a, a time for at least one of my hobbies every week if it's a particularly busy week make sure I fit in even just like one point or something like that, like just to uh, socialize. I think, you know, even if you feel too tired, just squeeze that in and then you'll feel better. Yeah, totally. And you touched on it just perfectly there. It is, it's, you know, whether it be in your collection or also just in the community, use it because it is there and it is there to help. So it's very much um, creating that even balance. So yeah, indirectly take your work home, but don't take your work home. I think the message from that is um no perfectly put now we'll move on to the number three then and number three is is a much broader aspect of the industry and that is we, we you know in the modern day we are in directly we're an educator we're we're there to educate our our public our guests to hopefully love our animals and to show them that our animals the best indirectly now with this obviously we can just talk about our two collections but all across the uk the, the world across europe there are so many zoos out there and we, we are all in our own way filling a different niche. Do you feel that we're all doing enough to educate our guests or do you still feel we need to do more? I think there's always room for more. I don't think you can ever get it perfect. I mean, just our site alone. I think with zoos and crimes, there's always going to be a problem with public perspective on what we do. Um, I think that's always going to be a challenge. I don't think it'll ever go away. You know, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have a zoo and aquarium, but we, we, we don't have a perfect world. If you just look at the last 50 years and how zoos and aquariums have evolved, 
that says everything to me about the direction in which they're going, especially when it comes to education. You know, just at the Sea Life Centre, we have school groups in every single day. Like, Birmingham could not be further away from the sea. So these kids are coming in, and it might be their first first experience seeing uh, a natural-looking rock pool or natural-looking freshwater display. Like, they, they would have never seen that before. So it's incredibly important um but I think it's important for us as well in our role for people to see our side of things you know what goes on behind the scenes um I mean we all have guest experience feeds um and I think that's a really good way of showing people like we've started doing what we call VIP feeds with the otters and it shows their quarantine area their back area like where we prep all their food and people are like blown away like by what we do or like because you know their plant room is there too so if someone's interested I'll, I'll show them that um you know they don't realize that we have especially aquariums like a plant room that runs all the water around around the aquarium it's like the hash of the aquarium like people have no idea that's a thing yeah there's still a bit of a stigma with what zoos and aquariums do feel like we're going in the right direction so it's kind of like just trying to connect with the public a bit because it's very easy to like humanize the animals I'm not really found that myself so I'd rather show like why we have such high welfare standards in this country because people might not think we do but we really do uh, compared to other countries you know they don't know we get inspected every three months we have to follow zoo license um you know that's not something that the public usually know or understand yeah no totally that totally that and i think you know is is about combining with them and letting them know and and that leads us on to that last question we'll be happy to know we've only got one last question of this this big question round and that is not just a collaboration with the public but with each other and i think where i'm going with this is at a zookeeping level do you feel like as a community we're collaborating we're we're sharing we're connecting enough or do we still need to improve? Yeah, it's a really small industry when you get down to it. Like, certain names are always float around, but important that we also communicate, share our experiences. You know, everyone has husbandry guidelines and animal care manuals that they follow. But actually, like, it's important to share ideas because it doesn't mean sh- you're never going to improve as an animal collection if you're not looking at what other sites are doing. Isn't really important to support each other as well because most sites are going through the same challenges, but with different animals or different team sizes. So yeah, I think uh, networking is extremely important for us. And it's actually a really small community, so it, and it's only going to get bigger. So I think it's important that we share as much as we can. If we want to grow the welfare conservation, we have to communicate to each other. Totally agree. And you'll you'll be happy to know you've conquered those big questions. You've survived. You're out the other side. Uh, We now move into what we call the quick fire rounds. Now, for our lovely listeners, they will know what's coming with this bit. And that is it can go two ways. Either someone gets very competitive and will treat it like that quick fire round it is. Or, and this is the more common thing, certain questions will erupt into conversation and we'll see how we get on. So let's see how we go, Faye, but we'll uh, we'll tackle it step by step. So number one, your favourite animal. Oh, God, <laughs> that's like the uh, hardest question that you've asked me so far. Uh, I'd probably say red pandas. But if anyone is an animal nerd, they know they have different categories for different animals. But I'd say red panda. Yeah, solid. Yeah, as a, a nice fluffy one to kick us off now. Uh, the next one, this is where I am slightly stitching up, I'm going to lie, 
This is not quite a quick fire one. Your top tip for mental health and well-being. The most important thing is speak. Whether it's too professional or just to say you're not feeling right, even if you don't know what it is, do not bottle things up. I think that's the main the main thing. Make sure you speak to someone, even if it's just to say, you know, I'd like to go for a coffee or something. Uh, that's your first step right there. Um, and you've done it. So I think just communicating is the, the main thing. My top tip, anyways. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Now, something with totally right field, your favourite film? Ooh, um, Hobby Kill Bill. I'm a big Tarantino fan. Yeah, yeah, solid, solid. Okay, so the best part of the industry? Aside from the animals, probably doing things like this, networking. Being able to, I don't know, just being able to communicate and make friends as well like definitely the networking i'd say yeah definitely definitely my favorite point uh personally as well so yeah now the next one this could go anywhere and that is what zoo globally would you like to visit and why uh longly obviously <laughs> amazing yeah you do need to come and visit you're not wrong Bless you. now if you had to stretch out if it wasn't longly and it was anywhere else where else globally would you be looking it probably have to be Monterey bay aquarium for me i feel like they're like the best of what they do and they just happen to have crs right outside the aquarium in the wild i mean who doesn't want to see that uh, so that'd be quite special i think no totally totally okay so this is a very personal one and that is what trait do you think inside of yourself what attribute has got you to where you are today Mm, that's a good one i'd probably say being quite adaptable being open-minded i don't think you can be like close-minded with our industry because everything is developed so quickly so if you only ever do something one way you're gonna become stagnant i think so just adapting to different scenarios i'd say totally now i've asked this question a few times i don't still have an answer for this one um so good luck to yourself and that is if you wasn't a zookeeper what would you be <laughs> god i don't know i would probably say something in in football uh, i'd watch a lot of football but not like a i don't really like a football player or anything like that like analyzing football i also collect football shirts so if i could just do that as a living that would be pretty cool what what part of the industry do you feel still needs a bit of improvement? Well, to be fairly blunt, probably the pay. I mean, I think it's improving. Like, I've seen a difference, but I think most none of us do our job for the money. We run on our passion, but you also have to have a life outside of work. So the stability, I think everyone has struggled with. That does our job. Yeah, so honestly, the pay. Yeah, no, totally. And I said there are some some very big bodies, hopefully, fighting our corner in the likes of Biaza and, and Iaza. So fingers crossed that will only progress in the coming years. Um, now, on the quite a personal one, we're on the second to last question. We're nearly there, okay? But this one... I want to ask you, who is your your inspiration? Who is your idol within the industry? Um, probably my curator, uh, Johnny Wood. If anyone works in Aquarium, they know who he is. He's basically been like a mentor for me. He is like the best manager I've ever had for one. But also, you know, I would consider him a friend. Like he has always looked out for me you know i really struggled with my mental health this year and he supported me through the whole thing but he also sets an incredible standard for how to run an aquarium how to see the bigger picture and yeah so i'd say him some very very kind words there now we're on that last question i personally stand by it on every podcast to say this and that is being the hardest question of the lot and that's because what i want you to do now is sum up the whole industry in only three words for me oh my god um okay i'd say passionate demanding 
progressive. Yep, three very, very fitting words for the industry. And uh, it sadly does lead us to a close for this episode. Now, I'm sure I can say, as I say most of the time, but especially for this one, thank you for coming along from me and the listeners. It's been absolutely amazing hearing your story and especially hearing all about your penguins and your otters. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. I'll hopefully get you on again very, very soon. Thank you. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.